Hi, welcome to season three of the ACE Tip Podcast, where we translate science into sense, so you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read lengthy journal articles or reports. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. ACEDIT is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Virginia. For more information, check out jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. Substance use-related crises happen 24-7, often when traditional treatment services are unavailable, which means it is police officers who find themselves managing substance-related crises. But what if a 911 call could generate a holistic response from an interdisciplinary team of responders? This is exactly what many communities are doing as police departments shift their focus from arresting those who use opioids to trying to prevent overdose. So what do these efforts look like? Dr. Melissa DeVoust and colleagues examined the implementation of police-assisted referral programs for substance use disorder services in Massachusetts from the perspective of different team members. The research team wanted to understand the key components of these programs and strategies used to implement them. To better understand how these programs are operating today, the research team used qualitative research methods to examine the implementation of police-assisted referral programs in five Massachusetts communities between June of 2019 and March of 2020. The study team partnered with PARI, P-A-A-R-I, to identify and recruit police departments implementing these programs. PARI stands for Police Assisted Addiction and Recovery Initiative. It is a nonprofit started in Massachusetts in 2015 to support early adopters of police-assisted referral programs. Early adopter police departments primarily began with two types of program models, outreach models and walk-in models. Outreach models centered around an interdisciplinary team that conducted follow-up home visits, usually in response to reported overdose, and helped connect individuals to substance use services. Walk-in models encouraged individuals to enter police departments or other designated locations and request assistance without fear of consequences for having or using drugs. Since the start of these programs, there have been rapidly emerging adaptations and variations in program models. The research team then conducted six focus groups with 33 individuals across five communities. Those interviews included five police chiefs, 12 police officers, six outreach workers, four community-based organization directors, two interns, one clinician, one program manager, one religious representative, and one prevention specialist. The five communities selected represented a range of diversity in location, size, demographics, rates of poverty, United States citizenship, and health insurance coverage. The six focus group ranged between three and seven participants from the same community in each group. Their research methods followed roughly those we have discussed in previous studies. This involved decisions about how to develop codes, how to test the codes, and then how to ensure inter-rater reliability or the likelihood that different people would code the transcript the same way. During analysis, five themes emerged across the communities. Number one, program development was an ongoing process. Two, partnerships between police departments and community stakeholders were essential for starting and sustaining a program. Three, high-level leadership mattered. Four, program success was defined in multiple ways. And five, 
programs contributed to shifts in beliefs about substance use and addiction among police officers. Let's explore these a little bit. First, program development was ongoing. Conducting home visits post-overdose continued to be a core program component. But to overcome difficulties in making these connections, each program turned to outreach workers who were either employed by the police department, contracted through local organizations, or were volunteers. Most of these were recovery coaches who had lived experience with addiction and were trained in coaching-based models of peer recovery support. Outreach workers could seek individuals who may or may not have had recent overdose in community settings to build relationships and offer referrals to services. This outreach might happen on the street or at a local community-based organization. One outreach worker said, quote, we navigate, we are moving around the city. And as we have background in substance abuse, we can see body language, we see signs. Every person is different, so we have a different way to approach. We can start with a conversation, unquote. Another example of a new outreach mechanism was the adoption of a collaborative model in which police departments and other public safety and public health stakeholders engaged in regular meetings and information sharing to inform outreach visits. Nearly all programs had adopted this quote-unquote hub model that included weekly stakeholder meetings, structured decision-making to categorize individuals with what they called acutely elevated risk, and outreach visits to those meeting this criteria. Acutely elevated risk is defined by the model's developers as, quote, a quick and noticeable elevation of risk that involves high probability of intense harm that crosses multiple human service sectors, unquote. One example of this in action is having a hospital nurse or social worker to be able to recognize a person whose risk is acutely elevated and then provide that person an outreach worker's contact information. Another example of ongoing program development was the shift toward harm reduction services. This is important because only a small percentage of people who engage with outreach workers choose to accept the referral. One clinical provider put it at 15 and 20% of the people they outreach actually accepting some level of interaction with them. In these cases, programs might provide harm reduction education and supplies, such as naltrexone and fentanyl test strips, or they might help connect the individual with family members or support groups. The third major shift was including more long-term engagement. Programs realized that they could improve program goals by engaging with individuals over time and providing ongoing assistance with navigating different services. One program manager noted that they started to get people to detox, but, quote, there wasn't any support for them when they got out, unquote. A clinical provider said, quote, because what we were seeing was folks getting into recovery, but then having financial struggles, struggles getting employment family and domestic issues, unquote. Programs began including wraparound services, things like helping with access to housing, food, transportation, and health insurance. To achieve this longer-term engagement, one police department partnered with a community-based organization that provided formal case management, while others provided these services through grant-funded staff. While programs evolved to different degrees, each program engaged in a process of iterative and ongoing program development removing components found to be ineffective based on prior experience, as well as adapting components to meet community needs. The second theme was on the importance of partnership for starting and sustaining a program. Partnerships amongst police departments and community stakeholders, think public safety and local government agencies, hospital-based behavioral services, 
for health, outpatient treatment and aftercare programs, health and social service agencies, and community-based organizations was key. These various stakeholders were often engaging with the same individuals. As they came to understand the complexity of people's needs, it became clear how important collaboration is. One police chief spoke about how the police department, quote, didn't know anybody, saying, we were just doing the policing, handcuff, incarcerate, protective custody, send to the hospital, forget about. When we saw what was going on and we thought, let's develop some sort of strategy, try to put us in a better position, unquote. Another police officer reiterated this point by saying, quote, I think the very first thing you need to do, whatever community is looking to start this, you have to identify who your partners would be, unquote. The third finding was that high-level leadership, particularly the police chief, mattered. Chiefs who championed the program facilitated successful implementation by building team cohesion and influencing departmental culture. One police chief said, quote, if you send the message in your department that, as the chief, you would want to support this, that really sends the message, unquote. Police chiefs were also influential in determining program design and changes in leadership contributed to the evolution of the programs. When a new chief took over at one of the sites, one police officer noted, quote, the program started moving smoothly. We created some policies around how watch commanders are to assist people asking for help, unquote. Likewise, a program's momentum and sustainability suffered when police leadership was not receptive to feedback. They also noted the importance of having additional departmental leadership beyond the chief and individual community partners as champions of the program. The fourth finding was that programs developed a variety of definitions of success as their models evolved, reducing overdose mortality and referring individuals to substance use services remained the goal for all five programs, but some had begun to emphasize different outcomes. One common emphasis was on, quote, meeting people where they are, unquote. As one community-based organization director said, quote, our goal is to meet people wherever they're at. So it might be harm reduction. It might be, do you want inpatient? Is it appropriate? I think out of habit, we say beds but it might be medically assisted treatment. We're open to any and all modalities of treatment. That's part of our goal. A police officer also captured this idea of meeting people where they are, noting that some people are not ready to get sober, quote, but they will still call us or still have an interaction with us and talk to us. And the hope is at some point, maybe they will change, unquote. And in the many cases where individuals were not ready for intervention, Interviewees reported engaging in a variety of activities that could not always be formally tracked. One police officer recognized engendering trust as a measure of success, saying, quote, a lot of our reputation of the team is that we are here to help. It's not to be punitive, not to be judgmental. We just want to get people the services that are available. We drive an unmarked cruiser car, a very old one, We had people actually wave down the car. Are you the outreach team? We want to talk to you. We've been working on that trust in the community and we have the results for it. There is a lot of positive feedback, unquote. And finally, programs helped shift beliefs among police officers. Interviewees at most sites emphasized the importance of changes in the culture of police departments. They mentioned examples of officers who had opposed the programs at the start, becoming involved and referring individuals to services. These were changes that developed over time 
typically sparked by officers seeing the results of the programs. Seeing the practical benefits of the program led to increased acceptability, which was followed by more sustainable changes in beliefs about substance use and addiction, particularly in terms of viewing addiction from a disease perspective and considering the ways law enforcement could shift their responses to better serve their communities. One officer spoke about how seeing addiction as a disease, quote, mellows you, unquote, and makes you realize that, quote, this is not a crime we're dealing with. We're dealing with people that have an earnest problem, and it's affecting not just them personally, but it's affecting their families, unquote. The development of police-assisted referral programs represents an example of communities coming together to implement innovative solutions to complex problems. Perhaps summed up best in the words of one police chief who said, quote, society's changing. The whole world realizes that. Incarceration isn't the answer to addiction. It's not the answer. But we're changing as society's changing because we mirror our society, unquote. And there comes a time when we must all look in that mirror and decide whether we like what we see. That wraps another episode of the Aced It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also, remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.jcoinctc.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. ACEDIT is part of the NIDA-funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. You can find ACEDIT on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, really anywhere that you'd normally find podcasts. Tune in again for more science and more sense with ACEDIT.